This week, Evan and I climbed into a dark closet and tried to fix our lives. And when that didn't work, we watched About Time. Welcome back to How Did You Miss This, a podcast where we try to correct our past mistakes by watching the movies we missed along the way. I'm Evan Tuller Hickey, and with me as always, Michael Hansen and Krista Shane. And today we are talking about the 2013 romantic comedy about time. Uh, and I guess it is about time that we talked about it because, Michael, you pushed really really, really hard for this film. So before we get into how Chris and I missed this, I would really love to know your relationship with this film. This is one of those that started maybe a little bit like the the movie. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know the, the writer. I didn't know the connection to his previous movies. I just watched it and immediately fell in love with it. And I watched it probably, I don't know, less than 10 times more than seven. And I love it. To me, it hits uh, so many notes that I look for in a movie. I think it is one of the sweetest ones uh, out there. And I think that it has such a nice message. So uh, for me, it's one of those, most people haven't heard about it, but I think it is just such a nice one to see. So I, I really wanted to share it with the two of you. Now, how about you, Chris? Uh, I'm guessing you haven't seen this eight or nine times, which is more than seven, less than 10. Um, I mean, at this point, I've seen it twice. But before this podcast, I had seen it zero times. Uh, I didn't know this existed, which is funny because, I mean, it's a Richard Curtis romantic comedy. He's made a bunch. They're all very successful. I think I liked all of them to a greater or lesser degree. Uh, so it is kind of wild that I didn't know this was out there. And like, I I, I don't know... Um, it's a, this is another one of those ones where I feel like the last few I've said, I don't know how I missed this because I, I, I didn't know this movie existed. So, um, you know, I, th until Michael kind of brought it up, it was like, Hey, have you guys seen this movie? And we were both like, that's a movie. I, I didn't even know this was a thing. So, uh, but I'm totally surprised that it went under the, the radar for me. How about, how about you, Evan? Cause you haven't seen this either. I haven't. And actually quite deliberately, have not seen this movie. This is one of those movies I recognized the uh, the 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 poster, you know, the the cover art or the 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 DVD cover art. VHS is this box. in your closet as well? Yeah, no, uh, <laughs> this one, this one, not because this is like on every single um, plane. Uh, you yes. know, uh, yep. this is on every single plane, right? On in in there, I watched it on a plane. There you I go. It. So yeah, yeah. So. Every time I'd be scrolling by, I would see this terrible picture of, I mean, it's not, it's not terrible in that it's it, Rachel McAdams in the rain with about time written above it, but like it, it gave me nothing, um, that I really wanted to glom onto. It just, I was sort of about time. I was like, oh, okay, this sounds like another Rachel McAdams in a romantic time travel movie. I don't yeah. know. She's the poster the looks like a very, very, very generic, like rom-com kind of thing. And you're like, yeah, I'm good. Yeah. You know, like this could, this could have been anything. It just did not excite me at all. So I was actually, I wasn't super keen to watch this movie. Um, but I'm, uh, I'm very glad that I did. Even the fact that you called it a romantic comedy, we're going to have to talk a little bit about that in this episode, because a few of the other movies uh, we've talked about before, it's like the whole thing around trying to nail down what the genre is. I think this one 
exemplifies that quite a lot. So like, I, I'm really looking forward to, to hearing it. That'll be an interesting uh, conversation, especially because uh, it does come from Richard Curtis, who is, uh, you know, famous for all of his romantic uh, comedies. So uh, this is the, the third film that he directed. Um, I mean, if you run through the list of stuff that he directed, he kind of was I'm going to say batting about a thousand uh, running from 1994 to uh, 2004. So uh, 94, he makes four weddings and a funeral. Uh, 1997, he makes uh, Bean, the Mr. Bean movie. Uh, 1999, Notting Hill. 2001, Bridget Jones's Diary. 2003, Love Actually. 2004, uh, the sequel to Bridget Jones, Bridget's, uh, Bridget Jones, The Edge of Reason. Uh, and then he makes a few more movies, uh, uh, Pirate Radio and War Horse, 2009-2011, uh, before he made this in 2013. Like that stretch from 1994 to 2004 those are some of the like biggest romantic yeah. comedies there are i mean correct like, me if i'm wrong but like those movies have like a combined box office of like one and a half billion dollars or something insane like that right yeah something insane like that and uh, so i actually did a quick pull up just because this is what i do for fun and i can't help myself uh, i pulled up the 30 largest um grossing romantic comedies of all time mm-hmm uh, so those are basically movies that made over $200 million uh, globally. Um, and when you go down the list, I mean, there's a lot of like single appearances, something like My Big Fat Greek Wedding, which was huge, but you don't have the same writers or directors kind of appearing multiple times. There's only four names that show up uh, multiple times on that list. Uh, one of them is Gary Marshall, who did Pretty Woman and Runaway Bride. So, right. I mean, Pretty Woman is like the biggest, yeah. right? But he was only the director. He didn't write these. He didn't create them. He was the director for those two. So the the, the three people who show up as the writers and directors, Nora Ephron, who shows up twice mm -hmm. on that list of top 30. So you've got Mail and Sleepless in Seattle. Nancy Myers uh, shows up four times for What Women Want, Something's Gotta Give, It's Complicated, and The Holiday. And Richard Curtis shows up five times Wow, on that top 30 list. So Notting Hill, Bridget Jones, Bridget Jones, Edge of Reason, uh, Love Actually, and uh, Four Weddings. So, I mean... It, it, there's a really strong case to make here. Like, look, dollars and cents isn't the only way to measure quality. Uh, in fact, probably not the best way. But when you look at it and you say like, those movies basically came one after another in that string of 10 years. Like this is maybe one of the best runs that you have for uh, a comedy writer out there, romantic well, comedy or otherwise, because he also sure. did Bean and some other movies in there as well. This is, I mean, this is up there with that run that we talked about with Rob Reiner, mm -hmm. where, you know, from like Stand By Me to like was A Few Good Men or something like that, which is yep. just like year after year after year, just like everything really, is a hit. like, yeah, wow. I mean, super impressive and also super impressive that like I'm glancing over uh, some of the just the budgets on these and like these are all like making more than $200 million movies and it's like four weddings and a funeral, $4.5 million budget, you know, uh, Notting Hill, $42 million budget. So like that's a pretty big one because it's got Julia Roberts in it and everything, but you know, makes back $364 million. So um, yeah, really, really bankable guy too. So again, like, why is this one such a sleeper? Yeah, I mean, it, it is it, it is an interesting one. And I'm not so sure how. Uh, I think that'll be an interesting thing to, to, to talk about. And I mean, the the I, I think pointing to where Michael was kind of, you know, 
pointing us earlier, like this is a movie about time is a movie that gets made because Richard Curtis, you know, kind of after this kind of historic run of movies that he's got, um, was sitting around having lunch with a friend uh, and pondering, like, how how are you happy? How do you make yourself happy? How do you lead a happy life? Uh, and that whole question of, like, how do you lead a happy, ordinary life turned into the premise of this movie. Um, and then, you know, he added time travel because a movie about people trying to make themselves happy kind of wasn't enough of a hook on its own. Uh, and that's how this movie kind of came to be. It was just like, how do you lead a happy life? also time travel. Um, <laughs> but, um, but I, you know, that Richard Curtis saying, Hey, I've got an idea for a movie, uh, I think is more than enough to get you, uh, you know, green lit. Um, and then, so he, he wrote the movie, got produced, uh, or got a production budget of, uh, 12 million bucks. Um, and then I think the interesting thing about this movie too, is who gets cast in this. I mean, in a lot of his previous movies, uh, it was some pretty well-known names right you had like um uh hugh grant and well i mean especially hugh grant hugh grant is one of the kind of common uh folks through a number of his movies yeah him um, and bill Nye for sure right so you came into this one and and you got two um names i mean rachel mcadams had been the it girl through the early 2000s and had reemerged, uh you know in 2009 uh, also making another time traveling movie about the time traveler's wife so maybe maybe she's got this area locked down um but the, i think the the interesting addition is uh domino gleason um who you know son of friend of the show brendan gleason um who wasn't really an established star at that point he didn't carry the same kind of weight that uh you know like a uh a, a Hugh Grant would obviously bring to the movie. So I don't know if that's maybe part of it, but you know, he, he comes into it as kind of the leading man uh, in this, this movie. I think one of the interesting things is just, you know, how this movie um, premieres because it comes out in September of uh, 2013. Yeah. I mean, comes out September, 2013. Um, it does a, about $88 million at the box office. So not a particularly great showing in terms of uh, a Richard Curtis film, but still like makes its money back hand over fist. And I guess it was a huge hit in South Korea. It made like twice its its budget there, like $23, $24 million. Um, I mean, generally positive reviews. Some people found it too earnest and saccharine. Some people really enjoyed the sincerity. Um, a lot of people felt that there were lots of plot holes because it's a time travel movie. And that is one of the hallmarks of time travel movies, except Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. And, uh, you know, right now it's got a, uh, a Rotten Tomatoes score of 70, which is on the low end of the films that we've that we've looked at uh, over over the last while. But, you know, I guess the, the question is like, Chris, like, are you are you happy that you've seen this movie now? Would you recommend this movie to, to anybody? Yeah. So I was pretty happy watching this movie. I don't think it's like a great movie, but I was really happy when I watched it, especially the first watch. I will say this. 
I was really happy on the first watch. I think this would be a fun, um, you know, like date night movie or whatever. It's a light watch to, you know, Michael's kind of already pointed out that there's some like um, thoughtful, very sincere stuff in this movie. Uh, when I rewatched it again for this podcast, uh, I started noticing a lot of loose threads that as I noticed them more and started, it was like, oh, oh, that's bothering me a little bit. Uh, but like for if you haven't seen this movie, it's... Um, you know, a fun, light, positive uh, watch that, you know, you feel pretty good about uh, on the first thing, especially if you're not going to pull pull at any of those threads. But what what about you, Evan? Yeah, you know, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I really enjoyed watching this film. It was uh, it was a genuine surprise to me um, because, as I said, I I I went in uh, not particularly keen and just within the first couple of minutes, it already, it already had me. It had that really great, like, I just, I think Richard Curtis is just a very good writer at what he writes and it was sweet. There are some very thoughtful moments. The, the, the acting is great. This is, it is a really delightful, um, I'd say a, a romantic comedy in some ways. I know that we'll get into this, but like kind of maybe a romantic comedy for people who don't love romantic comedies. Um, but it still has enough of those elements that like, I think it, it I think this makes for like a really good Friday night date movie yeah totally agree michael how do you how do you feel knowing that uh, evan and i are uh, thinking we should curl up with loved ones and watch this i am super happy that the, the two of you enjoyed it that way now i'm looking forward to talking about like specifically what parts you liked and uh and and can i see take it from there yeah i think i think there's a lot to dig into on uh what kind of movie this is and what parts of it hold up. And I'm very curious how you feel about them after, uh, I think you said more than five and less than 10, uh, viewing. So, um, maybe here's a good spot for a break. And on the other side, we'll talk about what we think about this movie. we're back so uh we are going to talk about all the things about about time that was two abouts in a row and that was confusing for me too but uh if you don't want spoilers then stop listening or get ready uh so what's this movie about well this movie is about tim lake and on his birthday he finds out from his dad that the men in his family have the ability to travel through time and as tim uses his powers to navigate the ups and downs of his life he realizes that tampering with time has consequences and some things can't be changed so i mean we we touched on it up front i think one of the the biggest questions about this movie is is this a romantic comedy so i i think it's a mistake to think of this as a romantic comedy i think that the actual romance itself plays a, a backseat in the story I think the bigger part of it is much more around the relationships between family, the siblings, and particularly the, the parental relationship, because it plays both in Tim with his dad and then his uh, own children. And I think that that really is the core of the movie. And the, the comedy as well, yes, sometimes it plays for laughs, but the comedy is much more sort of subtle 
And I think if you go into it with that expectation, I think that you, you see a very different movie compared to if you walk in and say, oh, romantic comedy, and you expect it to be something like, let's say, uh, Notting Hill. Yeah, I, I think I think that's fair-ish. I would say that the romance part of this movie, I, I think you're right in the sense that like the comedy is not like punch up over the top constant throughout. Uh, but the romance takes up the first two thirds of the movie. So I, that's where I'd say like, I'd have a hard time describing this as something other than a romantic comedy because uh, the first two thirds of the movie is dominated by him trying to, uh, you know, have a love life and then wooing Rachel McAdams character. And it's, it's not until an hour and 20 minutes into the movie that they're married. So it's the like, that is a huge chunk of the movie where you actually don't have most of the other um, folks. You don't have the family. You don't, you know, you get little snippets of friends here and there, but it's really primarily focused on those two. I think this is also one of the challenges uh, that on a second viewing, especially I had with the movie where I wish it was less of the romance uh, and more of the other stuff. Cause I found the other stuff a little bit more fulfilling than the romantic part of the movie. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, with you on that, Chris, that, I mean, certainly this has a lot of the elements of a romantic comedy and it is, its backbone is very romantic comedy-ish and all of the twists in it are usually uh, not all of the twists, but most of the twists in it are um, twists that make the relationship trickier and trickier uh, or easier and easier, depending on what Tim is doing. Um, and, and then it becomes very much a relationship movie. Um, and maybe that's one of the reasons why uh, it, it, hasn't garnered as much notice uh, as it would normally have for like a, a Richard Curtis movie is that it it is maybe a little bit like neither fish nor fowl. I mean, certainly Tim as a character sets himself up to say that with time travel, it was always going to be about love for him. And that is absolutely true throughout. So it that is consistent, whether it be his love for his girlfriend and then wife, or be it his love for his sister, or be it love for his father. That continues to be a very um, pertinent um, kind of motivating factor for him. But if I'm describing this to people, I'm probably going to lean on romantic comedy uh, rather than like, well, it's like sort of a, uh, a light time travel <laughs> it's comedy. A, it's, a, it's a sentimental time travel story. Yeah, I, I, I'll say the same thing there. Like for, for me, so he doesn't say I'm, I'm interested in love. He says, I want to get a girlfriend. Right. No, he, he says that as a as his as his goal for sure. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. he does say that time travel was was always going to be about to love for me versus uh, totally money. Agree. I'm versus, just saying yeah. this the setup. The setup in the mm -hmm. beginning yeah. when his dad's like, You can time travel. And he's like, what are you gonna you have to do something important with it? And he's like, I'm gonna get a girlfriend. The and his dad's, mm -hmm. Ugh, yeah, mm -hmm. right. Um, but I, I I'll say this, like I think I think that's part of where 
you know, this movie is two hours. It's it's a little long for my liking, but I think it's that long because it is kind of those two things wedged together. Right. It's like a time travel romantic comedy that then has 30 minutes of what happens after after the happy ending and what would be a normal movie. Yeah. You know what? That's a really good that's a really good way of seeing it. I think in the same way that we sort of like saw in Bruges, it was like, this is after the action movie and you know, characters having to deal with all the collateral damage that they've racked up. Right. Um, you know, this is, this is the romantic comedy, the 90 minute romantic comedy. And then a half an hour of like, oh, this is, this is where like shit gets real after. Yeah. Right. Yeah. After you get married in the happy ending, you actually still have family and complications and kids and parents and whatever. Right. Yeah. And, Do you and, accept and, that, Michael? In a, in a way, in the same way that uh, I would expect you to say Harold and Maude falls a similar trajectory around. <laughs> it is one thing and then turns into another thing. <laughs> And you were completely okay with that. So yeah, for sure. Well, you seem completely okay with it in about time. So, (laughs) you know, we're we're kind of the same. (laughs) Chris has doubled up. (laughs) That was the best no without saying no. (laughs) It's just like, that was a hard Swedish no, where it's like, not quite a no, but I don't agree with you at all. I'm going to put it this way. I am a huge fan of, uh, there's a Swedish director called uh, Lasse Hallström, who has done a, a bunch of movies over the years. And they tend to go heavy on the sentimental. And it took me a while until I realized that if you think of them all as fairy tales, then if you do that, then they make sense. If you think of them as serious movies, realistic movies, you're going to be in trouble because they all fail on some critical points. Um, and I think of it a little bit the same with this one to say, maybe the reason I love it is because I, I see the thing around the sweetness and the relationships and the family part. And and I'm going to say flat out, like it makes me overlook some other things, but the same way that some people and, 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 you know, generally speaking, the, the Hallstrom movies are very poorly rated on, on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, but the people who like them, I think, really like them because they have a thing that appeals, which is that kind of more the story, fairy tale, sweet side of it. Yeah. And you have to buy into that. You can't go into it the same way that you would with, you know, a random other pick from that genre. And and another playback, let's let's replay the quote about uh, Mike around genres and genres are for, you know, reviewers, not for the, the viewers. So therefore throw that out and just say it's going to appeal to some people and and for other people, not so much. I'll I'll say the thing, the thing for me is uh, if this movie had leaned more into the relationship and family and that other stuff throughout, uh, I think this would have been like one of my favorite movies ever, because I think that sentimentality and like the importance of kind of being present in your life and, um, you know, like living every day as if you had a chance to redo it, but you don't, you know, like that, that, that kind of, um, you know, moral or whatever that comes out of this movie is great. And the relationship with the dad is exceptional. Uh, and I wish there had just been more of all the other stuff and less of the, the, 
romantic part. So I, or that it had been more interspersed with a little bit less romance or whatever the right way to put that is. It's just because I, I, I found that, um, that part about like, how are you happy? How do you lead your best life? And, you know, I find that kind of sits by the wayside for too much of the movie. And again, I'm saying this as a person who very much enjoyed this movie. I think the thing that would have taken this from a, you know, a four out of five to a five out of five for me would have been if it had been less relationship and just more of the, uh, less like romance and more those other relationships throughout. Um, because, you know, I found that final 20 minutes, you know, where he finds out about his dad dying and then all the kind of things that come out as, as a, as a result of that. And all those moments that he has with his family. I'm like, if that was a movie filled with those, oh my God, like that, I was just being like, like hugging something and in tears and it hugging throughout. Whereas the rom-com was fine. Like the rom-com was good. It was nice. It was cute. They were adorable. Uh, but like that last 20 minutes, you're like, oh, this is an entirely different movie. And it's so nice. And so, oh, my God, oh, I love to go hug somebody right now because I love them so much. I, I can't compete with Chris's uh, sentimentality there. It's beautiful. Um, and I, I think I, that's kind of what it is for me, because I think the the stakes throughout this movie aren't very high. Right. Like it's like dude wants girlfriend. Dude finds girlfriend and then loses her because he time travels to help a buddy, then has to get girlfriend back. Like it is very rom-com setup, right? Guy meets girl, guy falls for girl, uh, guy loses girl, guy gets girl back, add other stuff with time travel. So, I mean, I think I think that's one of the, the interesting things is like that kind of setup, it creates an interesting pacing throughout this movie because there's kind of these... Um, side stories that come up if you want to like add the stakes to the movie his friends play bombs and then his sister and then all these kind of things so i'm i'm curious what you think of that kind of structure where you've got your main romantic storyline but then you've kind of got these zigs and zags over to like friends and family or whatever to tell those other parts of the the story and add some of that those those stakes to it like how did you feel that played out in terms of the structure and the pacing of this film you know, I think you need them because it does it does give some kind of feeling of stakes, because when you can go back and just correct your mistakes and he, you know, several times and it's very funny and we'll do the conversation multiple times uh, with someone and then decides like, OK, you know what? We're not even going to do that conversation. Not at all, um, because that's just it's going to turn out terrible every time. Uh, let's not do this kind of thing. And so when you can go back and correct your mistakes uh, and there isn't sort of this um, massive butterfly effect that happens like this isn't one of those movies where um, time travel makes things go terribly, terribly wrong. Really? Well, it does. And then they ignore it. But yeah, yeah we'll get there. Yeah. You know, but like it's the sort of um, like he could have stopped himself from going back and uh, helping, you know, Richard E. Grant with his lines at the uh, at the show and still had the night with Mary where they yeah. kind of fall in love that they he, he could have totally done that. But I think it's interesting that they set up his character in a way. And I feel like I would have liked a little bit more push on this um, that he doesn't. And he makes he makes a conscious choice not to mess things up for his playwright friend that he 
that he is there to to make sure that his night goes really well, even at the expense of missing out on that first magical night with this magical woman kind of thing. Not just that, but also misses out because uh, him helping the playwright to do this, it also means that he has to eat a lot of crap because Harry sees him leave in the middle of the most sensitive scene and doing it. So he's not he's not doing it to help um, the, the judge. He's doing it to help Harry. Yeah. And that part, I think, that's what I mean about the... And I agree with you. Like, this is not a romantic comedy. This you know, they, they really should have downplayed that because this is about relationships, period. It's about friendships. It's about doing things for other people. So I actually think that that works super well, all these things. You get a sense of the sort of character that he is, what drives him, the decisions his, he makes. Uh, and for me, that works really, really well. Yeah, I I, I found um, some of those, uh, uh, I'll call them side quests. For the way the movie is structured, uh, I found them a little bit overly lengthy, right? Like the... Mm-hmm. Um, the Margot Robbie bits uh, where she comes back and then, you know, it's really to like get him to the point where he asks Rachel McAdams to marry him. Right. So there's these kind of like long, like zigs over to one side to bring him back to a point. He goes to the play and helps his friend save the play so that he can learn, Oh no, I've lost her number. You know, there's consequences in some ways to doing this time travel thing, or I can't make somebody fall in love with me just because I time travel or, you know, there's a bunch of different stuff that kind of plays out there, which the way it's structured, I found a little long. I would have loved if they either reduced those or leaned more into them to make those you know, more of the stakes about it being much more about those other relationships too, because I found some of those folks like, you know, Tom Hollander's character kind of disappears after the play he pops up here and there again but he doesn't really play a part in the movie besides being like hey i'm still here hi it's your kid's birthday Uh." um so like i i wish there'd been a little bit more investment in those other relationships and less in the the romance you know i i will actually maybe contradict that a little bit because you know the thesis of the movie is how do you live a happy, ordinary life? Mm-hmm. But with time travel and people do kind of come in and out of your life in parts where it's sort of like, oh, this person was like very heavily in my life for this period. And then they kind of disappear for a while and they do be kind, kind of become like kind of minor characters in your life for a while. And then maybe something brings you back together and they're there again for a bit. But like that actually felt really sort of true and authentic to me that like Harry was there for some big things and then kind of disappears a little bit and will pop up in, in little bits and pieces. Um, and, and to the, the Margot Robbie showing back up bit, I mean, yeah, it, it would kind of went on a little bit, but I also think that that was such an important scene. Again, it's one of these things that shows um, the the kind of person that Tim is because he could have gone and slept with Margot Robbie and then just gone back in time and not done it so that he remembers that he's done it, but like has it's not happened. So cheating never really happened, did it? But he doesn't. He he goes, you know what? Thanks. It was lovely to see you. And instead he goes home and proposes 
to Rachel McAdams. And that I thought was, again, one of those like nice sort of character moments for for Tim. I, I really agree with what you said. And it comes back to you, you see kind of what you bring in with this movie. So if you go in with that type of mindset, you will see those things and it's going to be really enjoyable. And I think if you go in with different expectation, you might see something else. But for me, that's what I take away from it. And I think that it's just a way to show him making these decisions. He could have retried. The, he had a couple of failed attempts when he runs into to her and her friend at the theater. And, and they, they have some fun with the, the mix up about the, you know, her, her girlfriend. But, but he gives up on that. He's like, no, 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 I'm just going to leave. So they already show there that, you know, he's not going to do it an infinite number of times. So I think that there are these clues that are, are very helpful about him as a character. What does he value? How does he think? What his decision process? So, so for me, that works. So let me ask one question here. Um, in terms of, you know, let's say both of you were able to travel through time. Um, is Bill Nighy possibly the absolute worst teacher and guardian of a of a power that can mess up your life? Because he seems to be very willy nilly about some very important rules because we only find them out like three quarters of the way through the movie. Like, oh, yeah, if you travel back after your kid. Uh, yeah, you're going to ruin everything. If Bill Nye gave me the worst advice in the world and he did it with the way that he acts now. I would still say, ah, oh, Chucks. Like, he is just the sweetest person in this movie. I couldn't blame him for anything. I would just give him a hug. And then I would say, okay, let's play another round of ping pong. As your children have dramatically transformed into other people. Yeah, and so what he does is he goes back and he doesn't do it. And then his children are fine. So he learned it on his own. So let me ask a question here. Because for me, uh, they are very loosey-goosey with the application of their own rules about time travel. Yep. Uh, okay. I'm, yep. I'm glad we're at least agreed on that because the whole, you can't travel back to before your kid was born because it's, you know, a bajillion sperm and you can never guarantee it's the same one. Or your kid will be different. And then they immediately fix the fact that he time traveled back to before his kid and it's his kid again. There's no way to do that after you've done it because you changed your kid and you're now in the future. I'm just saying they undo that rule very quickly just to make it happy again. Well, they he doesn't go back in time with his sister to before the kid was born. That was but but he had he already did. So then he had to have made a choice to somehow. How, how do you not go back into the past when you've already gone back into the past? I'm just saying. Yeah. Very loosey goosey with time all travel. The way down. Just the, the, yeah, just the same way it's like, okay, let's go back to our past and uh, uh, be a father and a young son. Uh, you know, it, right. we basically exactly. won't break the rules. It'll be fine. In, we can until, have this last really sentimental moment. Um, what, but you know what's what? the harm that it could do? Nothing, I guess, because it's nice right now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, and don't get me wrong. They pave over all the time travel um, oopsies that they would do um, just by making it nice. Like, it's very nice. It's very sentimental. And you're like, when he go time travels back with his dad for that last moment, you're like, oh my God. Oh my God. You're like, you're tearing up and you're just like, I love everything about this. But oh my goodness, especially on the second watch, the time travel stuff was really, really getting to me uh, where it's like, okay, uh, if you can time travel with somebody else, how come you're not time traveling with your wife? I'm just saying. Yeah. 
there's uh, there is that. I, I think that there's an element of that that is probably similar to if you if you were a cast of the original Star Trek TV show and you go to these conventions over the years and someone says, um, oh, but it's interesting because in season one, episode seven, you did this thing. And they're like, it was just a show. I think this movie is not about time travel. I think this movie is not primarily a romantic comedy. I think this movie is about um, some about relationships with family and friends. Uh, and, and I think it's got some beautiful teachings about how to live your life. Time travel happens to be a thing. The The way I look at it when I enjoy it is that that doesn't even show up. I don't even think about it. Time travel is like, that. that's an interesting thing, but that's not what this movie is about for me. So do you feel that this movie should have been called About Relationships? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, th- this movie should have been called Bill Nighy is so damn charming. Well, and he is. So let's talk about about Bill Nighy, because I feel like he got underused in this movie because every scene he's in, he's he's great. Like, he's just delightful. Again, this kind of goes back to my like, I wish it had been more about the family and the, the like those other aspects, those other relationships that they had, because like even when he's just throwing in like those one liners about playing table tennis and he's like, oh, I'm so good without the ball. I'm like, oh, dude, you are just so good in this. Yeah, I mean, I think that everyone in this movie is really good. Like this might be one of my favorite Rachel McAdams performances. I thought Donald Gleason was delightful. Maybe Bill Nighy was used the perfect amount. You know, it's it's like a seasoning. You know, it's just I'm so excited to see him when, he, when every time he's on screen. Just kind of like I'm kind of excited to see Harry every time he's on screen. You, you know what I wish there'd be more of? Um, there's there's that moment again in that like last 25 minutes or whatever that is entirely different movie almost it's that extra stuff where tim goes back and and sees his dad when he um you know his dad is is uh gone uh and he's gonna have an tim's gonna have another kid and he goes back and sees his dad and it's the like like his dad has that moment where he's like oh like and like there's that moment of like recognition of like, I understand your time traveling right now. Or same at the wedding when they go out in the hallway and the dad is like, um, I wasn't thrilled with that speech. And, you know, Donald Gleason's like, it was fine. I understand the, the I love you was implied like and then you see him time travel again. I wish there had been more of that interaction with Bill Nighy where there's almost those moments of like, hey, are you time traveling right now? Uh huh. Like, oh, how's it going for you? Like, I wish there'd been more of those interactions where because they both have this common bond of understanding how to time travel and that there's ways to make your life better as a result. And, you know, you don't want to miss out on those moments. I wish there'd been more of those like time travel bump ins. I don't know a better way to call it, but those like moments where they're just like, hey, are you are you you or are you future you right now? You know, like so. So, look, I, I think of it like remember Joss and how the, the shark the mechanical shark didn't work. And because the mechanical shark didn't work, they only had it in a couple of scenes. And in the end, it was like so much better for it because it was terrifying. I think in this one, the amount of sprinkling of Bill Nye is amazing because every time I see him, I just go that, like that is the best dad ever. And it just lifts everything. And, and I think that doing it more may have, overdone the effect because like his thing like just like you said i wish i'd said i'd love you and when he 
recognize us to think to say, have we done this before? Like all of these things is just amazing to me. And I think that if they'd done it more, it probably would have been overdone. I think he couldn't have been better cast. And I think that that they used him extremely well yeah, for this. To me, one of the biggest sort of um, like bombshell moments was when Tim realizes that the reason that his dad retired at 50 to spend time with the family and just play ping pong and stuff was because he knew that he was going to die of cancer later on down the line. It it's just like that re- that really got me. It's the best. He said like the 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 only people who retire at 50 uh, to play, you know, ping pong, table tennis with their kids. Yeah. That, that incredibly powerful, but it only works because of the build up to that point. And, and the same with uh, his wife, like the, the mother, she also is brilliant in her restraint. If they did the entire movie about that, it would be a different movie. But I think that the way that they have them in this, I think is just incredibly effective. Um, I think maybe now is a good time for a break. And on the other side, maybe what we can do is talk about the folks who played the leading roles in the movie. Welcome back. So the two leading folks in this movie, Dominic Gleeson and Rachel McAdams, I mean, they are front and center for a huge chunk of this movie. I'm curious, Evan, like, what did you think about uh, these two as the, the leading couple uh, in this movie? I thought they were delightful, like just delightful through and through. I thought they had great chemistry. Uh, I really liked the way that their relationship goes from, you know, the, the heady early days to the really like deeply committed, you know, years of marriage kind of thing. Uh, I, I thought that like Donald Gleason is so charming and so lovely and it, it's, it's so different than his, uh, you know, character of like general Hux in, uh, in the star Wars, Star Wars movies yeah. or, or the, I think he did an episode of black mirror. That's super creepy in the first season where he plays like the Android simulation of, of himself. And it's really sad. And yeah, like I, I just, I really enjoyed I'm like, I want to see Donald Gleason in more romantic comedies. And Rachel McAdams was great in it. I think sometimes, uh, you know, I've seen her kind of get, no, not outacted isn't the right word, but like kind of out star powered yeah. in movies. Like I think about like Sherlock Holmes that she was in with uh, Robert Downey Jr. And, and Jude Law. And those two Guys have so much like movie star yeah, power. They absorb the spotlight in a different way. Yeah. yeah. And and as a result, she seemed really diminished in that role. Whereas like in Wedding Crashers or like even Doctor Strange, like she feels I, I, I don't proper sized. I don't know if that's like if that's the right analogy. But yeah. in in this uh in this movie, she felt perfect to me. Like I know that there was a, a, a casting near miss here with Zoe Deschanel uh, in the, in the part of Mary. And I don't think that would have worked as well. I think that she is too, like, especially at that quirky. time, like too, too quirky, too manic yeah. pixie girl, as we yeah. had talked about. I'm glad that she was in 500 days of summer. Like that is 
like the perfect Zoe Deschanel romantic comedy movie. Whereas like this is like Rachel McAdams is just great in this. I really agree with you about the chemistry because the second that you hear them together in the uh, the the you know the the dark restaurant. Oh, it's just a great scene. Just I really scene. love They're that. So scene. natural. Their conversation is so natural. And then the, will you walk me to my car thing? And then just end up talking and walking. Like all of this is so natural and it's, it's terrific. But it's also interesting, like your, your point about her in, in the presence of other ones. Like one of my guilty pleasure movies is a movie called Morning Glory, uh, where she's with Harrison Ford and she plays this uh, TV producer. And she's got a major, like the lead role, but there's this risk of her being with these crazy big stars but I just love her in it, and I think she's terrific. But I can totally see what you're talking about, where to to live up against that can be uh, really difficult. But here, I think that just the the, the balance, her mm-hmm. amount of time in this movie, the role, the fact that she actually is a character of her own. She's not just some sort of like a, a second bit character. Like she is believable on her own. I, I think she's perfectly cast for this. So it's interesting. You you mentioned about Pixie Girl, and what uh, I thought about this and seeing Kit Kat, like there's a theme that keeps coming up in in his movies where you have this character who represents that. Like it's the 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 sister here. In about uh, in Notting Hill, you have the similar sister who's also weird, quirky, and goes through things and has a disappointment. It's like this all these. Uh, elements of these kind of like archetypes that keep showing up again. I think she did a terrific job in this in some ways. And in other ways, I felt like she uh, was had a tough job to do because of the, the role. But the character itself, I thought, was very important to kind of highlight the difference in his protection for her and, and, and care. Yeah, I think you're right. And it is really interesting seeing like the manic pixie girl, not from the protagonist's romantic point of view, but that as a as someone he loves and then watches sort of the magic get crushed out of her. I thought like was a was a really like Kit Kat has a has a solid arc in this in this film. Yeah, I, I, I'd agree. I think my my only issue with the Kit Kat arc is, again, that time travel wonk that comes in as part of it, where it, her crash and whatever later on when he tries to go back and, and mm-hmm. save her, uh, you know, change her for the future for the better, and then immediately undoes it uh, magically somehow by time traveling to it. I don't know. I don't know how you undo the time travel that you already time traveled. As no, if you you stop yourself it. from time traveling, right? How you are you? I don't know how you do that. Anyway, that's a whole know. other thing. Um, so uh, I just found there, that that was um, that that frustrated me a little bit, and then somehow she wound up okay anyway. Um, that was kind of the well. I mean she she made her she made her choice on her own. I mean it's that sort of thing. It's like you can't if somebody if somebody's an alcoholic, you can't stop them being an alcoholic until they want to stop themselves. Right. And that's one of the things that she comes to her own, her own decision on. And then he knows that in alternate timeline that he didn't like so much because his kid has changed, um, that she's with, uh, his buddy Jay. Right. And so it's like, Oh, okay. So maybe there is something there because all the time travel in the world can't make you love someone or may can't make someone love you as he says early on. So, there must be a little bit of something, something. So, hey, let's 
let's mention, uh, you know, Jay kind of thing. And, and so it, it kind of works out. Even though apparently she's a terrible mom. Apparently. <laughs> yeah, he shouts it out. Right, right. Like, first scene she has it with a baby. Like, not a good mom. But anyway, she's happy now. Um, I, I do want to touch on one other thing about this whole time travel thing. Not about how they goof it up, because they goof it up left and right. But um, when he loses track of Mary as a result of helping um, out, you know, his pal with his play. Uh, he then has to go um, stalk her uh, to yeah. find her again and then make her fall in love with him. I wasn't totally in love with that bit. I found that a little like, Ooh, this is a little awkward. Yeah. Uh, don't love the normalization of stalking there. Uh, it's kind of awful. Uh, and it, and that scene in the Kate Moss exhibit. Exactly. Yeah. It, it really does border on creepy and also like creepy, angry, it, like entitled in a way, right? Entitled. Thank you. Yeah, That's yeah. exactly it. Cause it's the, creepy, angry, you love entitled. me. You just don't know you love me yet. And it's like, yeah. Ooh. so I, I, I will say on the first watch, I had no problem with it. There's some like, OK, OK, this is fine, I guess. Uh, when I watched it the second time, I really didn't love that stretch. So that's one of those ones that where I started pulling on a thread there and I was like, Ooh, this is not my favorite bit. I get what we're doing. He goofed up. He doesn't want to change things because his friend and he's learned a lesson here about, you know, you go back and make a change. It means you undo the other stuff. But like, I, I wish that had been a little bit less of that stalkery. I'm waiting for you for like 25 days in the art gallery and then just poking you as if we're familiar like that. And then, oh yeah, that, that, that part bothered me i'm curious michael is that like a thing that you're like i i don't know I, how do you feel about that stretch completely agree with you like i think that's probably the weakest point because it is i kind of get why he felt he had to write it that way but it just it it has not aged well mm -hmm. because it is it is creepy exactly like you say it's by the time that he has a chance to sit down so he figures out uh, to meet at the the house party meet up with her and go um, for a meal then it's like from that point on, sure, he had to actually be genuine and everything from that point on, he had to do genuinely. But to get to that point, it is really weird and creepy. And that, and again, like that, that scene you mentioned with the sitting at the art gallery, it is simultaneously really cheesy with the music going on and kind of like, oh, you see people come and go and creepy because he's got that whole thing rehearsed around. But wouldn't you agree that, you know, her uh, period when blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, I, I that's not my favorite yeah. part of this movie. It, it's like Matt Dillon in uh, something about Mary, where he's been listening in yeah. with the ra listening device. And then he's like, that heroin mod is the most romantic movie ever made. And it's like, oh, God. Yeah. OK. The, the, the difference there is that Matt Dillon can continue to be Matt Dillon. But in this case, um, he actually showed his true self and, you know, they had a very successful life. Yeah. So I, I do think one of the interesting choices that's made in this film is that um time travel uh isn't like it's not some sort of like doctor who zipping through the things they step into a yeah, closet you, it's you dark don't need to go 88 miles an hour exactly yeah there's yeah. nothing super special and i am here for it i agree i i, th I thought that that was one of the best things about about the movie like it's like time travel, just go into like a quiet, dark space 
clench your fists and and just think and then and then you'll you'll be there awesome that's great yeah uh, the simplicity of it i i very much enjoyed i will say this is another one of those like inconsistencies where you're like wait he time traveled back and his old self stepped out of a closet well what happened to the person who was just talking to him at the party 30 seconds ago that he just disappeared and is now walking down the- what so i there's a few of those where i'm like okay i get it i'm overthinking this it's but also on a second watch it made me furious but i do agree that just the simplicity of the time travel no special effects no you know like star wars light streaming by the closet or like magic poofs of light just like all right i'm in a closet in different clothes and i step out of the closet it's easy it's great it it, it is it's a really it's a really good point because it's like there's somewhere in between the ridiculousness of Harry Potter Quidditch that has no rules. Someone just made it up and it's like, it's the most ridiculous thing. And something like, I don't know, Tenet where you try to kind of figure out every rule possible in the world for how you're going to manage time travel. This is more like time travel is secondary, but they take it a little bit seriously. And, and also you, one thing you need to, to keep in mind is that, that that living room that he went back to for the New Year's party was very big and very crowded. So they were all intermingling. He probably ran into himself and they didn't even notice it. So that's that's the answer right there. It was so big and they were so drunk. Uh, I will say it's just partly because in other scenes, he doesn't disappear into a closet. Like when Margot Robbie asked him to uh, put the sunscreen on her back and then he goes back and he just appears as himself reading on the lawn. He doesn't have to like run outside from a closet after it's a little inconsistent that's all i'm saying but well you know but that's also the magic of movies like he maybe ran inside and then he came back outside and then settled down and opened his book (laughs) and then she was like hey can you put the sunscreen on my back and uh and we don't need to see him walking out of the house and lying down and picking up the book because totally get it that makes it longer than two hours i just i just felt like there could have been like a whole syllabus that bill nighy had to fill him in on on like all right now when you time travel back in time you don't want to just try and travel back to any moment you need to travel back to a time when you were on your own anyway like Try to aim it for when you were in the bathroom. Do you remember when you were in the bathroom 10 years ago? So Chris, you were- where would they have found the time to do that? <laughs> when they had their time travelers, they could have figured it out. Um, so, but I, I, yeah, absolutely. I think, I think um, that part of it made me very happy that it, it was, I mean, it's a simple premise. You can time travel in a closet. All right, cool. I don't need more than that. I like the way that they executed that. Um, And I will say one of the things that I actually liked about how this movie looked too, beyond the lack of special effects is that the way that they shot all those family scenes, especially, you know, when they're on the, on the beach and he's having those memories of his childhood and kind of those like flashbacky kind of moments is just the way that those are shot. They're shot with like extra soft lighting Mm -hmm. and um, like, it, it feels very, very nostalgic, very dreamy, very kind of like hazy in a way. I, I think it did a really good job of tying into that setup, you know, at the beginning of the movie and at other points throughout where there's this like sense of like, my family is great. I love my family. We had the best of times growing up. And just that visual appeal of the way that they shot that um I don't know. It, it, that really resonated for me because it made it that extra kind of like dream nostalgic sense of like my family was great and I love my family. I'm like, yeah, I get it. Then it yeah. comes across on the screen. 
and you want to spend time with them. And I want to have like, as as someone who does have tea on the beach with their family uh, when I'm in Cape Breton, like it made me like really pine for that. Like, like I just can't I just can't wait to be like home in Nova Scotia with my family on the beach, having tea, like all those things. It was beautiful. Yeah. And I think I think that's kind of a central thing for a lot of this is like it gets those those beats right when it comes to especially the the nostalgia of family and uh, kind of those those moments where you, um, you know, uh, a number of us here have, have lost parents. And it's just that sense of like loss and longing that goes mm-hmm. on and nostalgia for those moments that you had with them. It gets those beats really right. And I think that's what makes this movie so special. And quite honestly, that's why I'm like, I wish there was more of that in the movie, because those are the parts that spoke to me a lot more. So I'm like, you know, I miss my dad. I wish we could talk more about the dad in this movie. So that's obviously where I'm leaning, leaning in on this. But I mean, it, it gets those sentimental beats right. And it really does like... It does it so well. I think I thought many times that it's weird that they were able to even do all these things and sit and have all these moments together and watch movies on every Friday night or whatever it was. But then when you hear the explanation about why he did it, like, again, someone turning 50 and deciding to do this, and it's like, oh, yeah, that's very sweet. I agree with you about the how it's shot and the visuals. The one thing that I have a big issue with visually is the the wedding itself with the rain and the ridiculous wind (laughs) and all of that. Like that just feels like, okay, that we get that it it rained and it was very windy, but that, that was just like you, someone cranked it up to 11 uh, on that shot. I mean, it is the Cornish coast. I, that is not, uh, that is not like out of huge character weather. Yeah. Hey, Evan, if I wanted you to come in and defend something about this movie, don't defend well, the, the wind and rain. And no, I'm, I'm going to, and I actually think that the I'm going to double down on this. I think that that scene is super important because he says to Rachel McAdams, like, is there anything you'd want to change about this? And she was like, no, nothing. It's perfect. It's per- exactly. So, Thank you. Yeah. And so, like, to me, their their wedding being like destroyed ruined or whatever right by by the this massive rainfall and him not changing it because it's perfect it's that's that's exactly the way that you know that it should have gone uh is really beautiful like that is it's a really important moment i think so there we go double down on the weather you're such an inconsistent weirdo and i love you i love you too michael they both had to time travel back to get that one in. <laughs> uh, speaking of my love for both of you, one of the really beautiful things in this movie is um, Uncle Desmond at the end saying, like, when your father said that he loved me, uh, that was like the best day of my life. Could Michael, could you... Please explain to me something about Uncle Desmond, who is, you know, a pretty funny character. Whose brother is he? Is is he Bill Nighy's brother? Is he uh, Lindsay Duncan's brother? Like, so is he is he a lake? 
can he travel through time or is he Bill Nighy's brother-in-law? Is he Mary's brother? It is a brilliant question. So like I said, I've watched it between seven and 10 times. Eight or nine. I yes. never thought about, I never thought about um, that before because I assumed he's Bill Nighy's brother. Just assumed it. And and I never stopped to think about the, the time travel because um, I just thought, he was such a critical person for that. Like that scene that you mentioned, like that was the, the best day of my life. So, so I think this might be my worst type of thing. I thought that was brilliant. You, you got so much about him and I never thought about it until you asked the question. So, so thank you. Okay. So I don't have an answer for you, but like, thank so you. So the answer is nobody knows. Okay. No, nobody knows. Okay. It's like one of life's mysteries now. <laughs> and as we have uh, just had an important lesson, I think one of the things about this movie is it wraps up with a pretty critical lesson. It's the whole, uh, you know, if you want to do life right, live each and every day, you know, paying attention and being present and making the most of it. I'm, I'm curious, like, I, I mean, it's kind of a big moral uh, wrap up to this 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 film that he learns he doesn't need time travel to lead life properly. I'm, I'm, I'm curious, like what what did you guys think of of that kind of takeaway and, and lesson at the end of this film? I, I thought it was really beautiful um, straight up. Like I I thought that so there there are, are actually two things that that are sort of involved with the time travel. And the first is like Bill Nighy's words as to how to live a happy life, which is to live the day and then to go back and relive it without the stresses because you know what's coming and uh, and just really savor the day. And I thought that was amazing. And then Tim takes it one step further and he's like, I don't even time travel anymore. I just do the second version, which again is, is both of those things are really beautiful. And, um, you know, but one, one which a normal person can do. Yeah. Like that, the way that they kind of conclude that I think is brilliant. The way that they show the acting the second version of reliving a day, the little things, the little smiles, the little thank you, the nods, the acknowledgement of people. To me, that is just so beautiful. And then he says this thing, the voiceover, like, but of course, some days you only want to live through once and then they cut to the funeral. Yeah. And it's just like, it's so brutal. And the whole thing then around like the, the, the dad that, that of course knew like where he came from and said, and he asked that, like, where, where did you come from? And then, to have that conversation and it's brilliant. So then at the very end of the movie where they do that, exactly like you say, you realize that you, you should only live it once. And it's got this amazing thing around like, uh, enjoy the extraordinary, ordinary life. And to me, like that's, that's why I say like, this is not a rom romantic comedy. Like this is, this is about the relationships, how to live your life, how to live it to the fullest, uh, how to enjoy all of these people. That's why it hits me every single time and why I don't even think about time travel or any inconsistency. I just go like, yeah, I'm, I'm in. I'm in all the way. Yeah, I, I, I definitely think that's that's what it gets right. And it's definitely the the part that I think I, I take away from uh, the movie. And I think probably other folks would too. So that's why I think we're all probably saying it's worth a watch. And I think that's probably a good place to call it for this one. So that's what we thought about about time. 
Uh, we'd love to know what you thought about this movie. Uh, you can always email us at how did you miss this at Gmail. Switching up because Twitter X, whatever. We don't need it. So you can email us at how did you miss this at gmail.com. And uh, while you're out there on the internet, do us a favor and send us any questions that you might have that you might want us to cover, or if there's any movies that you've missed that you'd like us to watch on your behalf. So uh, if you enjoy what we're doing here, do us a favor take a second to rate review or subscribe wherever you happen to be listening uh, and we're going to be back next week with a bit of a special episode uh, to not talk about movies we haven't seen but to talk about movies that we have thanks for listening and we will talk to you then